Rice, we're rolling. On this podcast, we'll be talking about different areas of business and all things marketing. My name is Dave Doyle. And I'm Dave Alton. This is Social Antics, another marketing podcast. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Social Antics, another marketing podcast. Uh, just want to kick off by saying thanks to everyone who, I suppose, listened over the last week, uh, offered us loads of support, kind messages, and um, yeah, it's been great to get the first episode out and hear the feedback, and we're always up for suggestions or ideas on podcasts going forward, so thankfully, I suppose, Dave, the first episode went off without a hitch. Well, that's not entirely true. Oh, it's not no. entirely true. There was something cropped up, I suppose, which we should probably address. Um, so, during the last podcast, I may have mentioned Hitler. Oh, right. <laughs> you did, actually. That, yeah, you did. No, you that, did. No, that one, no, that's not what I'm actually talking about. The issue is, is that we have to have a retraction. I may have mentioned that Brewdog had 12 pubs. You did. They actually have 78 pubs yeah, across the UK and across the world. So... Yeah, I got that. I got that very yeah. much wrong. So apologies. And, and to you're Brew meant Dog. to be the academic here. You're meant to be the one that's big into research. To be fair, I mixed up breweries with bars. Now I know it's a big mistake to make. I but haven't that was checked the, the amount of breweries now. So if you got that one right, I don't know. But you're up the rumble anyway. No right. one else knows. Okay, please correct us if we're wrong. Uh, I suppose. Look, just to remind anyone who maybe not listening last week, but the way we plan on running in with the whole podcast is the first part of the episode will be around news or trends or anything that's been popping up in the last week that we've spotted areas of interest and um yeah and then for the focus this week which is a longer discussion that we have in the second half of the show we're going to be talking about um higher education which is something that obviously myself and dave are involved in and are very very passionate about yeah definitely so to kick off uh this week's episode Dave, has anything popped up for you this week? So I think something that was very interesting during the week, it was an article by Matt Barker um, from Marketing Week um, who looked at the analysis report from Cantor Brands, which came out uh, last week as well, where he basically showed that of the top 75 UK brands, um, they've lost an aggregate of market capitalization of 13% since the start of the year. And there's a danger that the final 10 top world brands that are UK based are going to fall out of the top 100 before the end of the year okay. which again L- is L- layman's terms layman's terms so if you take if you take um, a brand a brand has a certain valuation in terms of what it's worth it's not about profit or revenue obviously that filters into it but it's what a business is worth right. in terms of their market cap and if we look at those UK brands they have decreased by about 13% in the last year and if we compare that then because obviously this is all relative during a Covid year but if we look at the top 100 brands in the world those are up 5.9% this year in terms of their market cap and they're now worth about 5 trillion now obviously Google, Amazon, Apple, Facebook make up a huge chunk of that yeah. um, but still it shows a trend that British brands are really really struggling when it comes to their impact on the global stage when it comes to marketing. What kind of brands are you looking at there? So it's actually, it was surprising to me because when you think of UK brands, you think of, they've done a, they've done great stuff over the years. So if you think John Lewis, for example, you think um, Super Dry, you look at Jaguar, all of these brands are starting to really, really decline in value to a level which is really, really unhealthy. And I was actually kind of starting to think to myself, 
what is it about UK brands that means that they're not performing on the global stage? And even some of those brands like Jaguar, for example, they're not um, um, they're not even UK owned anymore. Jaguar is owned by uh, was it Tata in um, in India? Uh, yeah, something like that. Yeah. So the I suppose like I mean, if we were to look at then some of the fastest growing UK brands, and um, the two that stood out were one Blue Dog, which is wholly UK owned they're now up to about 1.2 billion in um, market huge, capitalization huge oh massive company um, great company and then the other one was Costa Coffee but they were acquired by Coca-Cola last year so that obviously contributed a huge amount to their kind of growth in I, the market shall we say question there for you so is there anything that you feel is restricting British brands as you're saying there to actually performing on a global scale is there anything that's actually holding them back a little bit I think like, like it's not just British brands I think that fundamentally we've seen a huge change in the market recently because of COVID, but also because of the way that people actually consume brands. A lot of people are actually saying now that we're experiencing the death of brands and it's very, very difficult for companies to compete in the same way that they used to. So if you look at the top 50 top ad spenders 50 years ago, it's pretty much the same group of companies, but they're still spending their money on the same thing. But their market share is declining in each of their equivalent industries. So they're still advertising the way that we would have advertised, again, 20 years ago. It's all television advertising, print print advertising, radio. And they're not able to adapt as quickly as some of the more agile up-and-coming brands to consumer changes in consumer behavior, trends, and so on and so forth. And we've seen that more recently where you see brands quickly come on the scene and you don't really know where they've come from and all of a sudden they're really really a household name Just Eat being a prime example Deliveroo being a prime example I think based on that report Deliveroo's market capitalization is up 40% this year they're up to about 1.9 billion um, billion dollars and obviously due to to COVID and the pandemic and stuff like that and places shutting down obviously these kind of companies came came to the forefront of of innovation and service really a hundred percent but i think even if you look at some of the so if you take um if you were to name the top 10 uk brands in terms of their value would you think that dove is on that list it's a it's a huge brand but i think one thing that always strikes me with dove is they not that they change the marketing suit to what's happening but they're definitely they're definitely um what would we say in it they're definitely in in tune with what's happening at the moment. That they're 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 like they brought out a brilliant campaign there throughout COVID that was basically focused towards the the frontline workers and the nurses with the you know I think it was scars in their face from wearing the masks and it's just it was very kind of um in tune with the time but it was also a nice support message for those staff. Yeah, but they've always had their finger on the pulse. Like they were the ones who initially brought out the campaign for Real Beauty, which yeah. was unheard of at the time. Um, even around the time of the the Dove for Men. Um, a lot of men were starting to gravitate their consumer behaviour away from links because that was very very sexist advertising and it was again Dove is more about um, having pride in kind of different types of masculinity so being a father or being kind of a a good um, a good boyfriend a good husband so again they're very very good at from a socio-psychological perspective, understanding the changes and how consumers think about brands and how they consume brands. And obviously all the content that they created associated with those campaigns were very consumable and shareable on social media, whereas a lot of other brands haven't done that. But I think even to, like to go back to your original question, it shows how much a lot of these organisations have declined. So we've just gone through a year whereby for half the year, people were sitting in their front room in their underpants on a, on a Zoom call whilst watching television. And even during that type of a year, big brands like BT 
they've dropped a huge amount of market capitalization, 24% this year. Whereas you see the likes of Disney plus Netflix taking off and really, really capturing that market. So there's a lot of brands out there that aren't really adjusting their strategy to the new behaviors that we see in not even just a COVID world, but in a new era of marketing where traditional media isn't um, isn't at do the you, forefront. Do you think that these brands, some of the big brands you mentioned there, that they do still put too much of a focus on the traditional marketing? I think there's too much of a focus on traditional marketing and I think what they spend on digital isn't, it's not organic to digital or it's not, it's not, they, they spend a lot of money on Facebook advertising but they take the television ad and just put that on, on Facebook and show it to the world. Again, it, that doesn't work anymore. Uh, 20 I years think a, lot ago, of the, a lot of the TV adverts is very much a rerun as well. It's the same nearly adverts. It might be changed, but it may as well be the same adverts. Oh no, they're all, they're always the same adverts. And then when you see brands actually trying to change their messaging, they get it horribly wrong. So if you take Gillette, yeah. every Gillette ad has been the same for the last ten years. There's a bloke in front of, front of a mirror, yeah. um, good looking, good looking wife, good looking girlfriend, shaves Walking. himself, brushes his face. Um, and Gillette another, best and another, and another blade and another and another blade is added to our razors that's that's essentially what it was and then they tried it this year but they changed their campaign to the best a man can be campaign which all yeah. of our listeners will have heard of and it completely collapsed so again there's some brands out there that get the pulse of the of the nation right and others then just completely completely lose the run of themselves but i think beyond that then in terms of branding and marketing how people are actually thinking about how they interact with brands in terms of their daily lives is also changing. So one example that Cantor gave, which I thought was fascinating, was Pret a Manger, yeah. um, who'd be a competitor of Costa Coffee. They have to bring in a new thing now where if you pay a subscription to a coffee shop, which is unheard of, of £20 a month, you get unlimited coffee. Like again, a totally different changing the business model so that you generate more loyalty from your consumers and, and in a also world you're, where you're relying on people not to unsubscribe on that as well oh yeah no entirely but i mean in a world whereby you can turn around to again a bank investment and again your market cap is based on um recurring revenue in a world whereby consumer behavior changes and we're very very unbrand loyal again going back to the death of brand if you can have a scenario by you can guarantee a certain amount of revenue from a certain amount of clients even if you're taking a hit on your margin that can be hugely, hugely valuable to It's a good idea, I suppose, and that, when you just said that, it kind of reminded me, and we know we talked about Gillette there as well, that whole idea of the, was it the million dollar shave club crowd? Oh, uh, the, you know, the, the dollar, dollar, dollar shave club. The dollar shave club, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they were a million dollar shave club <laughs> by, <laughs> by the they, end of it. When, when, they, when, when he sold them, it was billions, yeah, but, um, yeah. No, I think that was a great idea, and I think that kind of subscription model is great, and I think definitely from a business plan as you said like you know it is definitely a, a one to look at to see can you build it in again it's it's, it's it's just to show that i think the main point of this is that a lot of the traditional brands that are out there they are suffering and they are starting to die off and again these are still massive companies i'm not saying they're going to go they're going to get liquidated in the morning but it just shows the opportunity that exists within the marketplace within again the world that we live in with changing consumer behaviors with disruptive technology with the agility that you have now to change your business model i think it's very very interesting to see how those three different factors line up and they are negatively impacting uk brands at the moment and let's see if some brands kind of grow up that list over the next couple of years perfect i think you have a good story coming up about uber is it 
Um, not so much a good story, but I suppose an interesting well, better story. Be <laughs> well, I suppose for yeah, for the for the three or four people still listening, you better have a good story. So, like, so um, last year, a lot of people know that Uber was basically banned from London. Yeah. Um, and uh, was it yesterday? I believe. Yesterday, yeah. Yeah, after a four-day hearing at the um, Westminster Magistrates, uh, Judge uh, Tam Ikram, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, basically said that despite Uber's historical failing, failings in terms of driver safety, they now feel that Uber are a fit and proper operator to receive a private hire vehicle license so they can now operate in London for the next 18 months is what the license has been granted for. Whatever your thoughts on this, I just think this is that is madness in the times we're living in, in terms of trying to stop the spread of COVID. It's a bit, yeah, it's a bit of an, it's a bit of an ironic one, all right. Like, I mean, the um. I think the main, like the main, the main thing that this was about was about um, uh, safety. There was a lot of unauthorized course, drivers being able to yeah. use drivers, which again now I've tried to find out how they have combated this issue, and I don't really still think it works. Like I mean, like like how regulatory body. like how do you like like when you get into an Uber when you're abroad? Do you ever actually look at the driver and go? Never oh, got that's, an Uber. That's my driver. You never got never an Uber. Got an Uber. Brilliant service, best service in the world. I absolutely love it. It's cheaper. It's quick. It's reliable. Um bit strange when you get into the back of a car and um, they ask you like do you Hoping want the radio okay. on and off and all that <laughs> hope that I make it to my destination without being sure murdered or killed sure, make sure to lock the doors still exactly, open exactly yeah but I suppose what, 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 what fascinates this more of me about Uber is that and this goes back to again the when we're looking at brands and growing brands we have to not look at just their valuation is it good for consumer but rather is it good for society in general in a lot of different cases so if you look at Uber last year, they lost $8.5 billion. Now, any company that loses $8.5 billion, you would traditionally say is not doing is not doing very, very well. Yet their market capitalization is $75 billion, but they operate within the gig economy. So the market has basically decided that a company that is losing this amount of money every year, that offers no protections for its employees because they're not employees, they're contractors, um, they have no safety, which obviously impacted them greatly over COVID because they had no health insurance. It was hard for them to get um, um, uh, to get COVID payment and so on and so forth. Um, and lack of job security. And the market has decided that, no, this is the way that employment should go into the future in terms of gig work and less employment I think employment you, you mentioned them and already dangerous. about Deliveroo and Just Eat and all these kind of crowds and more so probably Deliveroo and, and the Uber uh, Eats as well. All in the gig economy, all working off their own back, pretty much. Yeah, like I mean, like I, like like Uber and um, Deliveroo and all these companies, they're they're, they're built on something which is called al- algorithm management, whereby you are able to um, predict the demand, correlate that with supply, and then correlate that back with your cost. Because unless you actually sell something, you don't pay someone to do the job, which isn't how it works in a kind of a salary based contract or salary based. Um, salary-based hiring policies. So if you look at Uber or if you look at Deliveroo in Ireland, for example, Ryder will get about 430 to 475 per delivery, basically. Um, and again, if you take the amount of time that it'll take to pick something up, deliver it to someone, you're probably living below the living wage. So for students and things like that, might be a fine to pick up an extra an extra few bob and it's flexible work and all that kind of stuff but when you take something like uber which is an industry particularly here in ireland and with black cabs over in the uk and you're taking that industry and you're basically saying no this is only a casual working industry now that is something that can be quite dangerous especially when we're placing such a huge amount of market cap into these organizations that ultimately could be quite damaging to 
to society like if you just just as an example and again i know they're totally different totally different industries totally different sectors but if you take walmart for example walmart are worth roughly about 350 400 billion there thereabouts but they employ 2.2 million employees proper employees pay their tax certain benefits and so on and so forth walmart aren't angels by any stretch of the imagination but they do employ and um, the people who are working for them uber have 40 thousand people working for them globally despite the fact that the majority of their workers are actually contractors so again it's something that as a society and as a market governing bodies need to look at this stuff more clinically and more clearly do we want organizations that use algorithmic management or that use kind of gaps in the legal framework because we haven't kind of created laws to deal with this technology yet and are we going to allow them to operate in environments that may be more detrimental. Going I think forward. it's also important to mention there, obviously come from my background within terms of retail and food, um, it's also important to mention that Deliveroo, it's not small money they're taking from the restaurants. Do you know, in terms of, it's actually a big big enough percentage. Yeah, because you yeah, you've worked with a number of kind of hospitality, yeah. um, hospitality so businesses. In general, like, it's not as common knowledge. Like, you know, Deliveroo would take 30% of every, of every bill, basically. So it's a big chunk out of it. Which is huge. Like, I mean, I know the margins on food will be quite relatively high quite anyway, enough, but yeah. 30% is a lot. Like, I mean, if you if you even think of basic kind of e-commerce sales or anything like that, like, I mean, if you turn around to someone and said, oh yeah, for every jacket that you sell, you're going to be spending 30% of that on marketing. That's quite a high, yeah. it's a high cost to pay more so than yeah. anything else. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, I suppose, any more to say on that story? Um, not particularly, no. I mean, I think it's just, it's just, wor- it's, it's worth it's worthwhile noting again that when we're looking at markets and when we're looking at marketing, again, it's not just about the advertising. And on one hand, we can look at the developments that are happening in the industry and how there's a lot of value being created. But we also have to be wary for us as marketers that where we create value for a brand, it can be detrimental to an economy. Airbnb is another example. In Ireland and the UK, there's a huge crisis at the moment in terms of rental accommodation, in terms of there not being affordable accommodation for pretty much early career um, professionals to buy. One of the main reasons for that is that Airbnb has taken a huge amount of property off the market. So that um, increases demand, reduces supply, and it pushes the price up. So again... It's just important that we do have these conversations as marketers, that we don't just look and say, oh, Airbnb, aren't they incredibly innovative? Oh, look at Uber, aren't they incredibly innovative? From a kind of a a capitalistic perspective, these are incredible stories, but we need to always critique these brands how and they these got there, what they're doing, the what they're doing they're now and the impact that they're actually yeah. having. I think that's just fundamentally important for, for us to do as um, as marketers. And I think the other thing to mention as well is you've mentioned quite a good bit there about uh, research and where you've got it from and we're talking about British brands and all this kind of stuff and Kantar. I think it's very important to mention that there is a lot more research and facts and statistics that will probably come out around British brands and global brands than there would that much work going to maybe Irish brands and Irish research would you oh yeah a huge amount like I mean just just to say that as yeah well. I mean a couple of my colleagues um, uh, would have um, would have published in HRMJ which is um, particularly my colleague uh, James Duggan inside in, um, inside in, um, shout out to James Car- shout out to James inside Cork <laughs> University Business School um, are doing a huge amount in this um are doing a huge amount in this field at the moment. So again, but again, it's important that I mean it's fine that being published in academic in an academic journal, academic journal, um, an academic journal. But it's important that um this information is disseminated a bit wider as well. Perfect. The last story, I suppose, uh, is something that caught my eye. It came out about a week ago, but it's following on from um actually from June, Uncle Ben's rice. 
they've decided that they are renaming and rebranding uh, all their packaging, all their marketing to just Ben's Original. Um, Mars Food, obviously, look global food company, have a serious amount of brands um, under their portfolio, such as Pedigree, Whiskers, Orbit, Extra Chewing Gum, loads of these, and obviously all the usuals like Mars and all the other chocolate brands. But but Ben's, uh, sorry, Uncle, I'm getting used to it already. Uncle Ben's uh, has been operating now for over 70 years, since 1946. A really iconic brand and logo. Um, we all know it. It's a, a grinning black man with white hair and a bow tie, uh, just slightly behind the logo of the big name of Uncle, Uncle Ben's. Um, they feel that they've been getting such long-standing criticism um, over that... The, possibly the company are employing racist stereotypes of African-Americans um, that they're deciding to drop this whole name. What would your thoughts be on that? So I'm very, very slow to comment on something like this that I don't know a lot about. And why I don't know a lot about it is that when you are talking about um, racism, when you're talking about prejudice, when you're talking about forcing a specific ideology or thought on people this is entirely based on your own socio-economic historical political context that you live in so in the context of this specific brand i don't know the history behind uncle ben so they're like for me growing up um i would have um i would have uh, cooked with it in college for example sorry uh, do you want you cooked no, I didn't, to be fair, now my mother was probably listening to this. God, that little bollocks never cooked a thing in <laughs> his life when he was yeah, at yeah. But let's say, okay, it was on the shelves in supermarket and I would have saw and glanced at it. But it would never have dawned on me that there was anything overtly racist about it. Well, well apparently so, this guy never... This is not actually based on one particular guy. It's apparently the, the, the image was based on a person that worked on a farm and the... The name is from, I could be getting this totally arseways now, and the name was based on a maitre d' or a waiter in a restaurant or something. So, like, I mean, so, like, I presume, and again, without knowing the background to this, um, I presume there is some, based on what you've said there about some working on a farm, if it was from a particular a particular time, then you're probably talking about symbology or iconography of yeah. servitude. Um, which again, if it was a black person in the imagery, that that would be seen as quite as quite a racist symbol and racist imagery. So again, like if, if that is if that is the case, then it's great that Uncle Ben's have taken this step. Now they should have probably done it a long a long time ago if this was indeed the case. Um, so again, I I don't know enough about this brand to to critique it, and I think there's I think it's it's an important lesson here is that it's quite difficult nowadays because there is so much political correctness in the world. Yeah. It's quite difficult to distill. Very easy. Uh, well, it's, yeah, but it's quite difficult to differentiate between what is a real core fundamental issue and something that should change versus what is someone just being a bit stupid about. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So like, like again, if this is a racist, if this is racist symbology based on the history of the company and where that logo originated from, absolutely. It should have been, it should have been dealt with, but I hope it's not, it's not a case whereby they've removed the logo because they're afraid they might get in trouble because someone might misinterpret something or they mightn't think it's it's politically correct. Well, you know as I, mean? said, so as I said, this has been here. long-standing criticism that they've had to deal with. And, um, but again, if it's long-standing, that's probably correct then and yeah. it's the right decision. I think, so Maris came out and said that we're not just changing our name and the image on the package, but we're also going to take action to enhance inclusion and equity. So apparently now, um, by the way, this is all following on from mainly from the Black Lives Matter protest, but they've also now decided that they're going to establish a partnership with the National Urban League. 
support black chefs and will invest in schools where the provision of fresh foods in Greenville, Mississippi, where Uncle Ben's has been produced and basically make it more accessible. So they're, they're, they're planning on doing a lot of work locally around where Uncle Ben's is based, or Ben's, I should say now, is based. Um, and probably not and uh, not common, I suppose, for a lot of big brands like this that, look, they're going to release a bit of a story. They need a bit of good PR to back it up, I suppose. So you know what I'm going to say now. Please like how 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 Please how much how much how um how, how much? much are they investing in this okay, project? So what I could find was they're going to do 2 million uh, into a scholarship fund and they are going to what is it education opportunities for more than 7500 students and improved access to fresh foods. Grand. So like there's nothing wrong with any of that. But if they're saying that they have made quite a lot of money out of promoting a brand with racist symbology embedded in it, and then all they're contributing is two million euros, then that's not enough either. Do you know yeah, what I mean? I think, I think the Mars family. Do you know family, how much the Mars I, family? Ninety million dollars. Yeah, which it's I big, checked. big money. Sorry, not ninety million. Ninety billion. But they're in the dollars. top of the the top. I think they're they're either one in the top or they're in the top three of the the richest families in America. And again, so or again, world, probably, so again, it's so again, it's fine to say that okay, they're contributing like two million, yeah, two pains. million after after making all of this money off of this, of this very very bad. So again, I'm presuming that against long-standing criticism, there is a reason and it is the right decision for the right reasons. Um, but again, if that's the case, in two million or two million dollars uh, doesn't do much. And again, great that they're doing this, but do more, do better. Like, do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, I would agree. I would agree. And look, they're not the only companies that are that are going down this route. So Quaker Oats are dropping its Aunt Jemima uh, syrup. Um, they're same again. Kind of characters' origins is not lining up. Um, with kind of day to day political correctness nowadays, I suppose. And then but again, for the like, so again, I would make the point here that these brands doing this after Black Lives Matters. You can understand why they are doing it because every brand is doing it. Let them actually turn around and say, well, we're going to make sure that there's um, a specific um, number of um, black business people on our board of directors. That would be something that would actually be something they could actually do which actually has a real impact. Do you know what I mean? Like if they're really committed to call it equality, call it inclusion, call it diversity, whatever label you want to put on it, if these brands are committed to that, then actually put things into real action and not just changing your changing your logo, getting a nice PR story out of it. You're just doing it for PR. Actually do stuff that is real um, rather than stuff that is just there for the, the public relations side of it. Perfect. I think uh, it'd be good to hear people's thoughts on that story, I suppose. Uh, we might pick it up a little bit maybe next week if we if we feel like it. So I suppose um, continuing on to next section, education. Education, yeah. So look, something that look, I work in a, I work in a university. That's my main, my main job, along with a million things that I'm doing. Um, you do a lot of work in the local universities, colleges, um, around the city. Yeah. Um, so I think the main thing to say here that I mean, we talk about this, this word disruption, which I hate because it's again just, just everything is disruptive and everything is innovative and all the rest of it. But I mean, university education with COVID has been disruptive. Is is a diluted phrase what has happened yeah. here essentially um, do you want to talk a little bit about what's happened over the last I suppose, couple of months like, we're definitely into a new era of education I suppose the whole push of everything going online um, I personally don't feel the college experience is going to be anyway uh, like it used to be and I think it's going to be very very hard for any student going into first year now 
um, it's not going to be an enjoyable experience definitely even thinking back to my own days in college I would not like to be going into first year this year full time anyway definitely definitely not like to go into first year I think it's everything I mean I feel sorry for like the first years I feel sorry for like the fourth year everyone's co- like college is meant to be college is meant to be a time whereby you you build someone's confidence you increase their open mindedness and you get them to critically think about certain topics they get to find out what their what their talents are who their group is who their collective is like when you're in when you're in secondary school or when you're in high school you're kind of in a box right because you're just dealing with a, a few people in your year bit of a sheep exact bit of a sheep in university in college you get that chance to kind of actually go and actually I, I don't want to use the word discover who you are because it makes me sound like a prick but do you know what I mean it's just kind of it gives you that opportunity to again realise the talents that you have and actually go explore opportunities and things like that and again if you take just the education piece as in the lecturing piece of college then that's not really a college or a university, a holistic education. For me anyway, you're losing out on your societies, you're losing out on your sports, just hanging around the campus, you're networking, talking with entrepreneurs when they get on their conference, societies, um, going to college balls, um, all these kind of things that are, again, just an important part of it. And again, I know a lot of people will say, Erisha, wouldn't you just invest the, the 10 grand and go exploring for a year and you'd come back? And again, that, that works for some people, but in the majority of cases, that university education is a real phase of um, real phase of growth. Um, I know it certainly, was, it certainly was for me. So again, I think that I hope we move beyond it quickly. Um, I don't think it will. Like, I feel... Like the the universities in Ireland and the UK are struggling big time with this. Like, if we and this isn't just a a now COVID issue, but I mean, what ha- what's happened in this particular situation is that since the last economic recession, Irish universities, UK universities have been criminally underfunded, and there's been bandages put in place to plug the gap, basically. Mm. And now with COVID, all the bandages have come off, and there's a gaping wound there that is very very hard for the universities to deal with. So. Um, funding from the government um, now is about 40% of what it was pre-recession. Universities then dealt with that via kind of two mechanisms really. One is increasing international students. That's about 385 million gone from Irish universities course, this year because yeah. you're not going to get that many international um, or visiting students uh, coming to the campuses. And then there was obviously cutting costs, which again, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with cutting costs and making sure that you're kind of lean and mean and all the rest of it. But when you then have a scenario where you've made all the cu- the cuts that you can possibly make, or the majority of cuts, and you know, there can always be more cuts be made, and then you take away the big ancillary revenue stream that you've built up over the last number of years, very, very difficult to cope. Um, and then you're getting lectures to deliver things online with, do you know what I mean? Like, I mean, we don't have full recording studios. Do you know no, what I mean? Like, no. I mean, you're using your, your webcams, you're using your microphones, you're doing the best Dodgy that you internet. can possibly. Dodgy <laughs> internet. Um, all this kind of stuff. Do you, do you very, think very that, um, do you think actually numbers will drop this year? Numbers will be down? Well, I mean, look, it's going to be interesting. I mean, the I mean, the proof is going to be in the next couple of weeks. Like, I mean, the, the numbers at the moment have held in Irish universities okay. in terms of Irish students, international students, falling off a cliff, of course, has been an increase in Irish students who are probably seeing this as a, as a kind of a, a way to get accreditation um, quickly, I suppose, over the course of a year when they may not be working because a lot of the, again, the employment market isn't great at the moment. So the Irish numbers haven't really suffered at all, really, um, particularly in the business, in the business school. And um, I'm not sure about the other sectors, but um, I think that 
it'll be interesting to see how many dropouts you get throughout the year. I think that's going to be really People interesting. Fed up with it, not going to do it Fed anymore. up with yeah. it, yeah. I mean, again, it's a bit of a... And again, I think there's, there's a big difference between towards the end of last year, there was an understanding that it's a global pandemic. No one was obviously prepared for it. And we went online for the last three or four weeks and the whole world basically shut down. There was an understanding and a realisation there. Now you're coming into a new academic year and it's difficult for lectures to grapple with this. Like, I mean, I know a lot of people will listen and kind of go, oh, sure, you're doing the same thing, but you're doing it online. But you're not. There's it's, a it's huge a lot, it's amount a very of hard work. To do it it's very, very difficult. Like, what I, mean, I would say, what you're missing, for me anyway, and this is just me, lecturing, when you're in a class environment, you've three things missing that you have in the class that you're not getting online. One, lecturing is a performance. Yeah. And you're exhausted by the end of it. You can emphasize certain points. You can reinforce the value of certain things that you're saying. You don't get that in an online environment for me. The second one is that you can read the room. You can yeah. get a sense of, are they getting this? Are they not getting this? Is this kind of in line? With, and that's really, really important. Like, I'm a lot older than... Well, not that much. I'm a bit, I'm a bit even older a bit. Than, than the students that I'd be teaching, particularly if you're talking about um, undergrad students. So therefore, you need to be kind of in tune with, are the examples that I'm using, is what I'm talking about relevant to this audience yeah. and relevant to them? Which is why I spend so much time on TikTok, because I need to understand what these, <laughs> what these students are actually doing with their, in terms of their consumer behavior and consumption patterns. So again, you need to be able to sense the room and are they getting and are they interpreting what you are saying? Does it mean anything to them? And then the third, but then is obviously the engagement. Yeah. And those three things don't really exist in an online environment and um, so no it's, it's going to be a tough year and i'm not i'm not looking I th- forward to I it i think that's the biggest one because obviously like anyone that knows us we've done a bit of work together in terms of uh, guest lecturing or whatever yeah. it is and we would definitely have a similar style in that way i suppose that we're definitely asking a lot more questions to the audience or, or to students sorry and and hoping for a bit of feedback and trying to get people involved and bringing up discussion and debates and i think that is that is probably the biggest element that i'm going to miss when i'm doing lecturing is it's very very hard to do that online you know whether it's someone requesting their microphone turned on or they're putting up their hand and they're hopefully the internet is there for them and or the, the good quality is there for them so i think that's going to be the biggest the biggest hindrance for me for when I'm doing it yeah like I mean what I loved about lecture, like in the lectures where I would be like okay I've done my job here is when the students would start debating with each other yeah definitely whereas when, when it's when it's online it's you asking a question and you're probably getting one back do yeah. you know what I mean and a lot of the cameras are off and things like that so no it's a very um, it's a very very difficult thing but, but I w- what I would say is that there is a there is a kind of a, an opportunity here for for universities to maybe kind of reinterpret themselves as well in terms of what they're doing um like a lot of people would be kind of wary of technology the internet in terms of how it's going to impact upon the university i think it's going to go one or two ways it's either going to be people are going to absolutely as you said the dropouts are going to happen or people are going to absolutely love the online experience of attending college online so they're going to look at is there other colleges or courses that they can do online is there other avenues and and, and the whole online experience will will develop I'm not I'm not sure because I genuinely don't think I don't think no matter how good the, the, the technology is it won't I think replace the physical it won't knowledge. replace the physical contact so I, I think it's using ancillary to it and again for, from a marketing perspective this is great for me um, and I've always said it so like a lot of people and again the likes of your um, your um, Elon Musk's your Gary Vaynerchuk's all these guys constantly saying 
you don't need to go to college if you're if you want to get into business mm. or if you want to be an entrepreneur. No need to go to college. Nothing. Nothing what's, comes what's, at all. Uh, the right, real right, hustle right. and hustle porn and all this nonsense. <laughs> like you know right, I mean? you've given Gary Vaynerchuk. What's your opinion on it? So my my opinion my opinion on it is that there's a huge amount more that you get from a university education that you can't just learn from an online video. So with my students, for example. I love when, and I say to them, go off and do your, your Google AdWords certificate. Go off and do your Facebook blueprint. Go off and do your Google Analytics. Get all those certifications, their practical skills, their training. They will be useful for you in a job or in a role. A lot of the jobs that are going to exist in 10 years that the students that I'd be teaching are going to excel in probably haven't even been created yet. So therefore, our job isn't just to teach people practical skills. In fact, our job isn't to teach people practical skills. It's about teaching them to critically think about specific business situations or business problems and then come up with creative solutions for those problems. And again, there's the other bit as well as that. I would always say that it's not just about creating or um, uh, producing, creating, graduating students who... Um, who have these particular critical thinking skills, but also, again, are conscientious about the role of marketing in society and in the world. Going back to stuff I said about Uber, Airbnb, all that kind of stuff, they need to be aware that this stuff is going on and it's not just real, looking at yeah. it from a capitalistic kind of a kind of a mindset. And again, afterwards, they go off and they do whatever they need to do, but we've kind of done as much as we can in terms of putting that putting that impetus or giving people that that those two the toolkits that they need to actually go and succeed. And again, I think that you just going out and doing the hard graft and kind of failing over and over again and going through that hustle porn that a lot of people say you don't need to go to college for, I think it's nonsense really. And again, a lot of people always bring up, oh, well, Mark Zuckerberg didn't go to college, Elon Musk didn't go to college. It's probably safe to assume that you're not as intelligent as Elon Musk <laughs> or Mark Zuckerberg. That's a good place to start. Like, don't insult our career. listeners, will you? Don't get so, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I, think, I think you touched on a good thing there and that's probably the point I was getting at when I mentioned um, that there might be a newfound love for maybe online learning and you mentioned uh, the Facebook University there Google Career whatever one you mentioned there they're all starting to bring out these um, academies or universities their own internal ones and that's probably what I meant that you can go off and you can get your Google Ad search or you can go off and you know get your I think it's Facebook Blue, am I right in saying that? Face of blue. So I think, I think like, there's a lot of certs out there at the moment and they're all kind of free, so Google Analytics and stuff like that. Google is the more interesting one at the moment because they've more recently brought out and they're specifically calling it Google Career Certificates. Okay. And they are saying that they value this six-month certificate that you get. You can do it in either um, business analytics, project management, or user experience. Those are the three courses that they're offering at the moment through um, Coursera. I think it's about 600 quid to do the course. And they're basically saying that they value these um this certificate the same as they would a four-year degree but obviously that that like when you say there is coming through coursera it's obviously starting to get even more accredited i suppose and start maybe a little bit more well it's accredited by google that's what i meant like you know so a lot of these are internal accreditation so like do they actually mean anything really? well you see this is this is the point there's a big difference between training and education Training is learning to do a certain thing in a certain way because this is the way that Google AdWords is, is built. Yeah. This is the way the analytics are built or whatever whatever the case may be. Um, I don't necessarily want to focus on whether my students can use um, Google AdWords or use Google Analytics or run Facebook advertising. They can. It's not rocket scientists. They've built billion dollar industries based on people's ability to use these tools mm -hmm. my students are relatively intelligent people a lot of them are very very intelligent people they are going to be able to learn to use these tools and these tools change so often anyway yeah what i want to know 
is if you go into a business and you have a particular problem, how do you take all of these tools and the concept of branding, targeting, disruption, technology, consumer trends, how do you take all of this information that is out there, how do you gather that information and then make a reasoned, logical decision that is best for that business from a strategic and an executional perspective? That's what I'm interested in. And that's not just learning how to use Google AdWords. That's learning to if you've got a 500 euro budget and you're going into local well do i invest it in that where how do i invest it do i invest in facebook advertising what's the creative like how do these interact with each other how is this going to impact upon the brand what segments am i targeting what user am i targeting how can i track this user experience that's something that again you don't get from just learning products It, 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 it just and again i'm not don't get me wrong like I, I'm obviously very very biased here I work in a university <laughs> and I work directly with students but if you just even a basic example if you had a, a, a certificate from Facebook a number of years ago on their advertising platform then it came out 12 months later that, oh by the way all, our, all of our metrics are wrong Totally all changed. Totally all changed. Our changed. Oh, we did. We've updated. We've updated everything. All the data that we've <laughs> Which given can be before done. is actually is actually false. Um, it can be done overnight. Exactly. Right? So, like, I mean, do 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 you value that? And again, there's the other problem. There's other things you don't get with these certs either. Um, one of the best things that can happen to a student is that they come into my office and they go, "I've got a group member. They're fucking paying the bollocks." They usually don't use that kind of language, but you get the <laughs> sentiment from again. They're annoyed by it. I'm like, brilliant. There is not. A company or an industry that I have worked in in the years that I've been working, where I haven't thought that someone was an insufferable, lazy, just hated the person. Like, and you have to learn how to work with people. That's life, and that's the kind of thing that you get again with your university education that you're not going to get with a tailor-made, out of the box course that you can kind of that you can kind of view online. Now, again it's going to go more hybrid um, as more people start going to university um, as we kind of run out of space um, as universities run out of space things are going to have to be more blended but at the moment it's all online and you're losing a huge chunk of the valuable um, things that go on in, in a university um, and that's something that's going to have to be contended with I think in the future and again hopefully with a vaccine things are they're not going to revert back to the way that they were but maybe we'll come out of this and we'll take the best bits of the technology in the online and blend that then with the on-campus experience and then we can um, we can get back to where we were and better than where we were before. I think we'll probably pick this maybe up in another episode down the line, but how important do you feel it is to go and study, I suppose, marketing? Never mind the digital marketing side of things, but actually marketing if you're going down that role. Like, do you think it's actually as important now to businesses as it always was? It, yeah like I mean again it comes down to the it's not just about and this is and again this is a this is a kind of a something that annoys me is that like my like my module inside in, in that I teach inside in um, in the business school is called digital marketing mm-hmm. which is a bit it's a bit of an insult to a lot of my colleagues because like they all use technology digital like it's all embedded in everything yep. that you do like if you're talking about um, international brand strategy if you're talking about expanding into the BRIC countries if you're talking about um, doing market research you're going to be talking about things like sentiment analysis and stuff like that so everything everything is um, everything is digital I think the main thing with, with marketing that you get is that you understand uh, the consumer behaviour and again I'm coming from a research background I think that to me is the most fundamental thing understanding your market understanding your competitors and understanding yeah. the consumer behaviour within 
that particular um within that particular market space and on an abstract way in a really really critical i understand the value that i can bring to this consumer and again that to me is the core value that you will get out of out of a marketing a marketing degree and it'll it'll like i mean the, the world that we live in is uh is socially constructed by both people and by then the media beyond that in terms of the messages that we're all being fed um it's important to understand this stuff as well, do you know what I mean? And it gives you a, a certain outlook on the world and how the world looks. And again, it makes you a more critical person. And I mean that in a, in a good way. Yeah. Um, and again, I think it's important that if you are going into an industry and you are kind of have that commercial mindset, but also you're very, very conscious in terms of your social awareness, in terms of what your brand is doing within society, that to me is a very, very potent combination um that you can get which will benefit you in terms of being a marketer in your career. I think I think going forward it's definitely important to say that probably as you just said there you would definitely lecture more on the the critical thinking side of things, the strategic side of things and I would very much from a, a practitioner point of view in terms of how we actually put it into yeah, place. And and they both and they both work together. Like I mean I like, well, they have to work together. They have that, to that's work together. You, that's the point. Like yeah. I mean like you have to like you have to have a scenario whereby there's no point in me lecturing all of my students to be socialist thinkers and then they go into they go into a job and they're so they don't have that commercial mindset that means that they can't climb the the corporate ladder and they can't make all these decisions that i would love them to be making in the future with this kind of critical mindset or 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 whatever the whatever the case may be like i mean if we are looking to create graduate the thought leaders of the future they're going to have to start somewhere and that means in a lot of cases executional excellence in terms of your email marketing social yeah. media management graphic design content creation whatever there's no, there's no point in having to. a degree masters whatever you have in let's say digital marketing and you cannot run uh, a Facebook ad campaign yeah exactly you, just, you need to have these skills and then as you climb the corporate ladder you'll be able to again apply more of those strategic critical thinking skills and understanding again consumers and be able to do some really cool stuff with your career and like that's the and I am robbing a quote here from Professor Scott Galloway is a podcast that I actually I enjoy quite a lot and he's also in um, in, a, in academia but what he often says and it's a great quote is that education exists because it gives unremarkable people remarkable opportunities and that's not in an offensive way everyone typically like 99% of us are unremarkable I'm unremarkable you're amazing I'm sure but I'm definitely so unremarkable that that's it yeah, yeah. <laughs> but again they, 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 most of us are we're, we're, we're average in terms of how we go about things and education is something that you can put someone you can push them up a ladder and to do something really really exciting with their lives to open up opportunities for them doors to them and I think that to me is the key bit that is missing in an online environment and that everything becomes very very transactional um, and that's something that again is, is is something that's going to have to be correct into the future and again it's not something like can't do anything about it like the universities <laughs> are universities are cripplingly underfunded yeah. international students are gone the students are still paying very very high fees which they shouldn't be paying in my opinion um, but Again, the university can't do anything about it. We they don't have government support. And by the way, this is far above my pay grade. So if any of my senior colleagues are listening to me, I apologise. But I mean, and if anyone again, has a job going, send in uh, the resume. <laughs> but again, look that that's just, that's just that's just the position that the that the university is in. And again, I hope we find a way. Like hopefully, COVID corrects itself yeah. very very soon. But I think what we are offering now won't be good enough long term it won't be good enough medium term so either covid needs to correct itself or there needs to be again we talked about this idea of living with covid 
and there hasn't been a way yet that we as as a university are able to understand how the students in particular yeah. can live There's together. There's going to be a lot of frustration over the coming weeks. Huge amount of frustration. And I think to be fair, and like I, like I saw, I was just on Twitter earlier on, and like the students are getting slated because Joe, they're coming in in the first years and they're going to house parties and all the rest of it. And yeah, that's bad. Like, I mean, there's no doubt about that. But we also have to understand that this is a generation that miss didn't get to do a leaving cert now i know a lot of them probably enjoyed it they didn't have to do a leaving cert but again there's a sense of achievement that you get from actually doing it and um, they didn't get to graduate they didn't get to go to their debs and now they're into a whole new environment where they can't really make friends with people like i couldn't make a friend with someone over over the internet i just couldn't do it like tinder date maybe <laughs> that's totally but, different uh, i can't go on tinder i'm not allowed to go on tinder but that's another that's, that's, that's another never, never mind but, but the point is that very hard to engage in those social interactions so i feel very very sorry for the current generation of college students yeah. that are there and again they're getting a huge amount of criticism at the moment and again there's a lot of them that are acting irresponsibly but so are a lot of adults as well yeah. there was a thing came out last week in the city that we're from again it was a 25% of the cases originated in restaurants and pubs so yeah, this isn't like this isn't the student issue the, stu- the problem the students have is that it's a volume issue yeah. if you have 20,000 uh, students coming onto a campus be it digitally be it once a week doesn't matter what it is they're in the vicinity mm. then even if a handful of them decide oh we want to go for a quiet night down the pub they can't do that because the volume just doesn't allow them to cope with it so again look I mean that's something that I don't have the solution for I'm not saying that I do have a solution for it but again it's something that is going to evolve over time again hopefully COVID's gone in six months but if it's not and if we have to live with it the whole education system in terms of how the social interacts with the academic um interacts with everything that's going to be that's going to be a real real challenge and it's going to again like i said require really innovative and creative solutions both from an academic perspective and from the students as well perfect well look i think and as you covered already the reason why we wanted to speak about this uh topic this week was over both of our involvements in education and the fact that, look, this is the week that all the students are getting back into colleges, so no better time to talk about. It'll be interesting to see how it evolves over the coming weeks, how students get on, what kind of feedback you, uh, is going to come back from all that, and we'll keep an eye on it. Um, just want to say thanks again to everyone for listening in. Uh, as usual, you can follow us on all the social media channels we're up on. You can subscribe, uh, keep up to date, and thank you very much for listening. Yeah, no, a very, very interesting conversation. Again, it's going to be interesting to see what we talk about um, next week, I think. Education, education was an obvious one and COVID was an obvious one for the first one, so we're going to have to think of something. like. Yeah, we'll come up with it. Thanks very much, guys. Take care. Cheers. Bye.